This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Everyone is Hot the podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and the film or TV show or play. We haven't done plays yet, but we're going to do plays uh, that turn you on to them. <laughs> um, I'm we're expanding Stevens. the sculpture soon. Yeah, honestly, let's do paintings. And I'm Shelley Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about George O'Keefe. Who's your favorite? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Who's your favorite flower vagina? <laughs> Um, so we are not well, talking about uh, flower vaginas this episode. Um, I feel like we are long overdue to talk about this film. Uh, am I, would I be correct, yes. Shelley? You'd be very correct. And what better time to do it than spooky season this Halloween. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, when we are recording this, it is uh, October 7th. So it's early in the month. Um we were talking about Michael, what you're the, giving away the, the trade secrets. We're gonna put this yeah, out to the, the end. Yeah, who gives it? Yeah, it's they a think different... we do this live. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I call that out. Um, but uh, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the parameters of the spooky season, and from my perspective, I feel like the whole month or the whole season of well, I guess month of fall um, is. Uh, it should be the whole season of fall. Um, I'm assuming that fall should be three months. Mm-hmm. Fall is three months mm-hmm. still, but it's it's a, a shorter season <laughs> every year. No, I think spooky season is right up until Christmas Day because spooky season's the devil's time. Yep. And once we get to the birth of Christ, we are 
spooky season is officially uh, over right from christmas to easter <laughs> right that's god's time <laughs> <laughs> i keep forgetting you're from the south um <laughs> I, and also that um then actually i think brings us very handily into a movie that deals uh, a lot with christianity and the effects of christianity and uh yeah some of the as clannery uh Clannery O'Flanner is what I was about to call her. Flannery (laughs) (laughs) O'Connor. What she would call is uh, like the God Haunted South. Um, Yeah, we get a little bit of kind of macabre Christianity in uh, this movie that we're talking about today. And which movie is that, Michael? Oh, my God. We didn't say it yet. We're talking about Ganja and Hess. Um, (laughs) Bill Gunn's Ganja and Hess, uh, 1973. Uh, For those of you that have not seen it, strongly encourage you to. Uh, The synopsis is, uh, after being stabbed with an ancient German-fested knife, a doctor's assistant finds himself with an insatiable desire for blood. Now, um, y'all know where we source these uh, synopses. Um, I would say that... (laughs) This is a pretty decent one with the exception of, I didn't know it was a germ infested knife. Did I miss something? I thought it was just like a spooky. Also, is he knife. the doctor's assistant? I, I thought he was yeah, the doctor. I'm not, he, he's the doctor, I believe. But also, I mean, I think that this does raise an interesting thing about this movie that it is, it, it's not particularly linear. It's not particularly plot driven. It's not, it's, it's kind of like elliptical in its storytelling and it's a bit, it can be a little confusing because, I mean, I I did have moments where I was like, wait, is he the doctor's assistant or the doctor? I think the character that director Bill Gunn plays is the assistant. And that's why the character of Ganja, who's looking for him, calls and says that he would be staying yes. with the doctor. Yes. Which yes. Dwayne Jones character then says, I am the doctor. So I think I think it lays it out. It, so I think this person was just confused. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I think this person uh, is confused, uh, potentially racist uh, to demote this man <laughs> to uh, doctor's assistant. Um, well, also, to be fair, in yeah. the actual movie, the assistant is also Bill Gunn, who's also black. So. Uh, yeah, it's fine, but it's it's that's fine, but it's not about him. It's about the doctor. No, that man is a doctor. Is okay. Yes. We're not Respect all assistants. Him. Some of us are assistants because it's early in our career. There you go. But um, Michael will be a doctor someday. I will be a doctor right now. I am a doctor's assistant. Um, yeah, this one. Um, so back to Ganja and Hess. Um, I really love this one. Um, it kind of reminded me, and I don't know why this is. I am not a critic. I'm just a person <laughs> standing in front of a screen asking it to help me understand it. And uh, I kind of felt... The same way that I did, this is probably my second or third time watching, and I felt Mm. the way that I did when I watched Three Women, um, Mm. where you just kind of need to let go of your expectations of how the movie should work, um, and or how a plot Mm -hmm. should work, and you have to let it wash over you. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much going on in this uh in this movie um i know that bill gunn when he had been offered the opportunity to direct a black vampire uh film that he didn't want to do it but he was able to find uh some overlap with themes of addiction which the movie 
uh, covers mm-hmm. and explores. And I think that's a classic way to look at vampires, but I think his uh, execution mm-hmm. of that is, is uh, so fun in this movie. Yeah, and it's interesting because I actually just for the first time um, recently watched April Ferrara's The Addiction, um, which is another vampire movie that is like very kind of heavy handedly and explicitly um, making vampirism like a, a metaphor for addiction. Um, and I don't mean heavy handedly in a, in a bad way. I think it's a right. great movie. Um, but I mean, it's it's not, you know, it doesn't have a light touch about making it about addiction. Um, and I think that Gondran Hess is an interesting point of comparison there because while the addiction element is definitely a part of it, I think it's so much like bigger and messier and more confounding. And like, there's no sort of like one-to-one in any specific thing. Cause there's just so many ideas happening within the movie that it does have the addiction element. It's got, you know, the sexual erotic, like, you know, sex drive and death drive element to it. It's got the, you know, colonialism and Christianity and the ways like the linearity of that contrasted with this sort of, um, I don't know, timeless, expansive, like pull to some sort of, sort of like undefined sort of like longing for a homeland. Yeah. yeah and like Pan-Africanism, like, yeah, yeah. I think that that's one of the most exciting things about the movie to me is that it's just like, it's so bursting with ideas that it's hard to pin it down to being, being about one specific thing. Cause it, it seems to be out kind of everything. <laughs> it is hard to pin down. And uh, when this movie first came out, when the producers had reviewed the dailies, uh, they were like, what the fuck is this? We gave you 3,500 like, <laughs> <laughs> like, or $350,000 uh, to produce yeah. this movie. And we don't know what the fuck it's about. We just wanted you to do a Blackula. Why can't you give us a Blackula? And... They released this movie a bunch of times over the 70s under different titles. So you got Mm -hmm. like, there was Blood Couple, there was like Black Possession, Black Evil. They like put black in front of it and some vaguely supernatural word. Um, And this version (laughs) that we're all, that we're talking about today, um, I don't think was screened until like the early 80s or something like that. Like crazy. It might have even been later than that because I know that in terms, yeah, because there was like a restoration project that I think was between like MoMA and like uh, Martin Scorsese's foundation, I think. Um, But but yes, I mean, I think that it had like a, I believe a print of his original cut had been like donated to MoMA and like had shown there for a while, but I think it wasn't really like lent out to other places or, you know, been made available like in streaming, um, Mm -hmm. you know, until relatively recently um i mean so i what was your first encounter with this movie uh this was during the pandemic that (laughs) like this is just uh, (laughs) something i watched uh because at the time i was working on a um and it's it's one of those uh you know when you start a project and you're working on it forever and you have like 500 pages (laughs) and you're like i i don't know i just i don't um (laughs) But yeah, it was some kind of redemption uh, script that I was working on. And in it, there was uh, Mm. a cup. It was centered on a couple. And uh, 
the guy was not good and uh the <laughs> lady was good on but on her way to not good on her way to being corrupted by this uh dark uh force and i was like damn i need to uh-huh. do some research on movies that cover these themes um and then i was like you know what maybe i should watch a vampire mm. movie so i put on ganja and hess yeah. and oh my god i I loved it. Um, Bill Gunn is a director that I, not even a director. I like he does so much. A polymath, as you said before, um, mm. he's someone that I I want to understand so much more and see more of his work. Just because um, I haven't really figured out how to articulate this, but there's like a regular degularness to his uh, approach and his overall vibe. Like he he kind of just mm. seems seemed like a uh, straightforward artist who wanted to do his thing and wasn't as concerned mm-hmm. with um, the commercial drive, which unfortunately shapes yeah. everything that we see today. And so um, mm-hmm. today when I watched it, I did you know just a little bit of reading about um, you know different collaborators of his and the communities that he was a part of and how he got to this opportunity. And it's just like, I don't know. It's really incredible that he had maybe what, like two or three films that became pop, like not even popular, but were witnessed. And then he died. Yeah. Yeah. He died at, I think it was 69 or 59, 69. No, 59. It must've been. Yeah. Cause yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, he had this like interesting community of collaborators that he worked with. And like it, it's funny. I feel like over the years, like I first was, exposed to him as an actor in Kathleen Collins's Losing Ground. And I just remember being so completely like captivated by him when I first saw it. Like the character that he plays um is, you know, the main character's husband. And he's such an asshole. <laughs> he's like yeah. such a piece of shit in it. But he's like, but he's so captivating because like he's, you know, he's this handsome, like charming force of personality. And you can fully understand why she stays with this like completely magnetic, charming guy, even though he like you know, cheats on her and doesn't like encourage her in her artistic pursuits and stuff like you, but you get the pull of him because he's just such a like magnetic force to watch. Um, but yes, but then it's been really interesting over the past few years. Like I first saw Ganja and Hess when I was working at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Um, and in 2019, we did a series that um, I think was programmed by Jesse Trussell um, that was a New York horror uh, and it was a great series that had a bunch of like New York centric horror films in it. Um, and Ganja was one of the films shown. Um, so that was my first exposure to him as a director. But I feel like over the past few years, like as I started like reading more of Kathleen Collins's work, um, you know, I got to know more about, you know, someone that we're, you know, we've you know, briefly uh, touched on here, you know, Sam Wayman, like his relationship with Bill Gunn and, Dwayne Jones and his like sort of work like with all of this like these you know different artistic collaborators um yeah it's just been really interesting seeing like how all of the people in their sort of like artistic circle were these like multi-hyphenates who worked in so many different modes like whether it was because they were just so talented in you know in many different fields um but I think also because of the you know a lot of them who were maybe wanted to primarily be filmmakers if the doors weren't necessarily open to them oh. and it's like they then found these other these yeah. other entry points like i mean something that i love in kathleen collins is whatever happened in a racial love 
is that it's so sort of like cinema inflected her writing. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, if you can't make a film, you can still have sort of like cinematic elements to working in these, these different forms and yeah. which makes them like uniquely brilliant because you're taking this sort of like unexpected approach to it in a way that right. I find really, really fascinating. Oh God. I, we might have to do a deep dive on Kathleen Collins. Um, this will need oh, to be yeah. after I've seen like every movie of hers and read at least two things that she's written. Read the screenplays. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, she popped into my head. I was reading um, like a couple months ago, uh, Maud Martha and um, mm. by Gwendolyn Brooks. And I absolutely love that book. And mm. I saw it in my head like as a movie as a and when mm. thinking about who would be the director who would be like the perfect director to tackle this um it would be probably someone mm. like a kathleen collins um but that's yeah. a conversation for another day um one question that i have for you is uh so i'll preface it with the fact that this has been i feel like an overdue addition to our overall yes. everyone is hot canon. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to know like, who is, who is the, the, I guess the, the everyone is hot star of this movie. Like who is the person? Ooh. I feel like the, it, it's obvious and we've been talking around it the whole time, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to know what you think. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's so, so difficult to say because one, everyone in this movie is beautiful. Yeah, they are, they are <laughs> like objectively like, like sculpture. Yeah, it's like a, Rodin it, sculptures. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy good looking cast. And like, and it's also like, it's a very sensual movie that's like interested in bodies. I mean, like, God, there's a scene near the end, this sort of like sex slash vampirism scene that sort of like ends with this you know gauzy like 16 millimeter close-up on like a blood covered back and oh, yeah. butt and that is just like sparkling like it's beautiful it oh wild. my and like i texted you like as i was re-watching i was like oh i completely forgot that this movie like ends with a guy like running in slow motion like fully is, naked at the camera yeah. with his like penis like, <laughs> like completely bouncing around <laughs> yeah and i i definitely had the thought as i was watching that that like I know that, you know, there are conversations about like nudity with actors and like being respectful about it and stuff. But man, I did have the thought watching that. I was like, God, if I was like that fit and I had an amazing penis, like I would be like, get me on camera doing this. Like, <laughs> chance you get. I want to like when I'm 75, yeah. like be able to roll that film back and be like, look, <laughs> that oh was God. me. <laughs> Put it on projector um, at my funeral. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this is what grandpa used to look like. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> but going back to like the, I think the the ultimate crush in this has to be Bill Gunn, right? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, because um, you know, I, I all the actors are brilliant. I mean, like Dwayne Jones, we could get we should, into yeah, like we should talk his, about them. Yeah, yeah, his own like polymath qualities. I mean, he, he was like a you know. French literature professor and like, you know, ran theaters and like, you know, did all these amazing things. But I think that there's something so incredibly attractive about Bill Gunn in this movie, knowing that like this brilliant film kind of like sprung from his imagination. And I think that 
he's so handsome in it and he's so vulnerable in it yeah. and he still has that like crazy charisma and I think sort of like metatextually knowing like the process of collaboration around this like you know that he was you know and openly you know sensual sophisticated gay man who like you know lived with the you know the actor who plays the the reverend and the film's composer as we've said um and he yeah just like everything about it his like sensuality and his charisma and his vulnerability and his intelligence is like crazy <laughs> uh there is one choice that he makes that i think is absolutely perfect um it's mm. when he is uh, it's before he uh you know there are spoilers he kills himself yes <laughs> um before he does that he's taking a bath and he's brushing his teeth mm. and he takes a sip of his own dirty bath water <laughs> to rinse his yes. mouth which i think is <laughs> such a choice it is such a yes. wild specific acting choice I think it's perfect. Yeah. I think it's perfect for that character and where his mind is at. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're cleaning your mouth and then you <laughs> sip filth into it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like him as uh, like that acting choice and all of his choices as a director and as the writer. Like, I mean, he's he's an artist who's so like unafraid of bodies and is so willing to get into kind of not not just the sort of like horror of bodies but finding finding beauty in that horror like there are so many shots of people like very intimate shots of like sex scenes where it's also like people are covered in blood and people are also like biting each other and like it's he really like merges like the grotesque and the erotic in such like fascinating ways it makes so hot (laughs) it makes perfect sense to me that when the dailies were screened no one knew what to do with this and they kept trying to chop it up and to mm-hmm. turn it into something else uh when it was way more mm-hmm. complex like it's it's a horror movie but it's you know it's it's a art house film you know and they, mm-hmm. they wanted to produce mm-hmm. a straightforward black exploitation movie um i don't know i thought ugh, there's so many fun things about this movie it was a i believe it was a non-union production too and uh yeah i think so <laughs> yeah the teamsters because i mean over. i think that up until this oh sorry go ahead no so the teamsters uh they had come to the production they were like hey you should hire some of our people like da 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 and mm-hmm. bill gunn was like nah this is a non-union production and they were like oh well you know y'all are shooting in a wooden house and also you know it would be a shame that this fucking thing would you know, explode, set on fire. You might want a couple of professionals around. And so uh, Bill Gunn was like, all right, y'all can help, but everybody on this production is black. So we have black everybody. We have black this, black that, you know, like our director of photography is black. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's black. Is that going to be a problem? They were like, it fucking is. We're out of here. And they left. <laughs> uh, <Jesus. laughs> so, oh uh, my God. Yeah, sometimes racism Fuck. is your friend. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it is interesting that, I mean, he did this, you know, very, you know, independent production, like, because I mean, he, he had worked in Hollywood. I mean, you know, he did The Landlord with Hal Ashby. Um, you know, he had made his first 
feature uh, I think it was called stop and it was like because of some weird like contract things like the I think it was through Warner Brothers and like the studio heads changed like multiple times during the process of shooting the film and so they apparently just like there was some legal like kerfluffle and they just never released the film uh, so it's like yes. he'd had this like brutal experience working in Hollywood and then to go from that to this very sort of very independent production but also that like truly feels like a you know a collaboration of artists and not you know a, a commercial film yeah. Because, I mean, like he, you know, had existing relationships with these artists. They all, you know, I, Sam Wayman, like has talked about, you know, the process of like writing the score for the film that like he was doing it like as they were shooting it in this like very experimental way that he was like creating the music because they wanted it to be so the the music and the images to be so like organically, you know, fit together. Like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like such the opposite of the process of making a Hollywood movie. That is, yeah, F, yeah, honestly. Yeah, and like I have, you know, read. No, you you go. Oh, and I was just going to say that, like, I think that part of maybe why he was able to create something so specific and that he, like, thrived so much in this was, you know, I was reading some article about the piece where I think his name is Nicholas Forster, who's um, like an academic who studied Bill Gunn and I believe is like working on a biography. Oh, nice. Talk about like guns. Ex- yeah. I was looking for a biography. Yeah, he talked about like. Yeah. I know, me too. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, is this thing out yet? <laughs> Which I don't think it is. Um, But but he talked about like, you know, Gunn's experience of being like, a, you know, hyper sophisticated, hyper intellectual, educated gay black man and like how he there was like you know such a sort of limiting idea of like how a black man should be in the world and I can't remember if this was a quote from Gunn himself or like one of his contemporaries but um this idea that like a lot of the people that he encountered in his career the white people he encountered in his career that they were like they could understand an educated black man but they couldn't understand a sophisticated black man you know which I Oof. thought was such a like, Oof. yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, he just, uh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he just had this like very specific, you know, he was like a very specific artist and it had a specific way of being, and that like I think that that it's beautiful that like even though this movie went through such a like tortured, you know, critical and you know release history that he was able to like work in this context where he could just be fully the artist that he was. And it was not having to sort of like, you know, force himself into contortions to be what like a Hollywood studio would expect of like a black filmmaker. Oh God. What a, what a hero, Uh, you know, like (laughs) such a difficult thing to do (laughs) to, to say no to money and, maintain your own sense of artistic integrity and not just completely mm. you know do some bullshit do a fucking black mm-hmm. three um <laughs> god and, and uh, it's fun to think of him as sort of like uh one of the four uh fathers of uh what we're seeing now a lot more of uh you know afro surrealism in uh, film and, and television. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. Did you? All right. This is kind of a non sequitur, but not totally a non sequitur. Um, mm. So, you know, this this particular film has definitely had 
an impact on the culture. And I'm sure we could do another, you know, 45 minutes figuring out, you know, the grandchildren of this particular movie. Um, but I'm mm. curious to know if you saw the Spike Lee remake of this. No, I I thought I was hoping that I would have time to watch it before we recorded this. Unfortunately, I did not. But okay. it is interesting because, yeah, I mean, it was another academic. I you know read something that they had written about the the Spike Lee movie, and they basically said that like that they didn't feel like the film worked in part because Spike Lee as an artist is kind of like the antithesis of like yep. Bill He's Gunn as an artist opposite. in many ways, and like yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I mean, that that honestly kind of makes me more excited to see it because I mean, I, I don't really want to see a remake by someone who is going to have the same qualities that like the original artist has. I agree. Um, what I think would have made more sense. Oh, God, it's raining. You can hear the rain. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> it's spooky. All right. <laughs> um, no, it's good. And it's atmospheric in the way that Ganja and Hess is atmospheric. Uh... <laughs> Completely intentional. Um, so yes. I did watch the uh, remake and I'll say what I say about every remake that I see. Um, <laughs> if they're going to do this again, they should have just done a miniseries. Um, mm-hmm. but, oh, that's interesting. But ultimately, yeah, uh, Spike Lee is the opposite. He has no <laughs> restraint. Um, and seeing hit like the sweet blood of Jesus, the Ganjin has remake. Um, like it's a shot for shot remake, which is my least favorite kind of mm. remake. But yeah, uh, Spike Lee, it's interesting. It's a very interesting watch. Um, yeah, I I watched this one, so I watched that immediately after watching the original the first time, um, just to get a mm-hmm. sense of what changed. And um, you know, the quality of the cinematography is very different. I don't want to talk too much about it uh, since I feel like that's a mm-hmm. whole other conversation, but. I don't know. It's it's interesting to see uh, you know someone like Spike Lee take the same material and uh, produce something that is just uh, very different from what we uh, from what we're talking about today. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's interesting. One of the things that the critic, who I, I wish I could remember their name, um, you know, said about Spike being kind of the opposite of Bill Gunn is that. Um, they talked about how sort of like nuanced uh, the you know character of Ganja is in in Ganja and Hess, and that you know Spike Lee isn't necessarily known for his like nuanced female characters. Oh and... my god, <laughs> it is it is like tits. It is that like that is it is it is like insane uh, how different the interpretation of like the female characters are. Like mm. it, it, God, yeah, okay. It's been a while since I've watched the Spike Lee one, and but you mentioning that made me think of like, oh man, the way like there's almost a little bit of a pornographic uh, element to the way Spike Lee treats mm-hmm. a lot of the sex uh, in the remake um, that is just so different from Bill Gunn's uh, sweetness mm. in these blood-covered uh, sex scenes. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that it's so interesting that, like, you know, I, it's, I wouldn't call this a particularly, like, character-driven movie necessarily, cause, or, or at least not in a sort of, like, 
typical sense because i mean i the characters like i think one of the interesting things about it is the characters can you know just vary very wildly within the film and but still have this sort of like core of humanity and i think that's a testament to like both bill gunn and his actors and i think that something that's so interesting about like marlene clark's performance as ganja is that i mean she doesn't she's not set up as like a particularly sympathetic character i mean like her first she's introduced as like being this very high maintenance, like sort of like demanding person and like being rude to the Butler. (laughs) So, I mean, she's not sort of like presented outright as like sympathetic, but I mean, you come to really love her in this movie. And I think because like you see her vulnerability with Dwayne Jones's character and you, you see her vulnerability as she in these sex scenes and also just, I mean, you know, it maybe is a, sounds like a reductive thing to say, but I think it's an important thing in, cinema is that like she simply is so like otherworldly beautiful that like there is something to seeing a face like hers on screen that like she's irresistible you know uh shout out to supermodel uh and actress marlene clark um i googled a picture of marlene clark uh just to get a sense of like I, i haven't like really looked at her looked at her like i've only seen her in like this movie and then episodes of Sanford and Son. Um, but my God, she is like yeah. goddess beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. It is insane. Yeah. And I mean, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about people who might have, you know, sort of unusual looks or something. But I think that this movie only works as well as it does in part because of like the sheer beauty of the cast. I mean, I think that like, it I think it's same it's the same thing as that way that like Bill Gunn has of juxtaposing you know the grotesque and the erotic is like is also having like the grotesque and the like like kind of pristinely beautiful you know it's like the I mean Dwayne Jones like my god there are some shots of his face in this that he just is so completely stunning to look at and then you see that juxtaposed with like the blood and the gore and it, it makes for this, like, really exciting, like, frisson. Yeah. Oh, God. It, it, we need to revisit Ganja and Hess again uh, with Spike Lee's remake in yeah. conversation as well. Uh, just because I want to explore that point that you just made uh, with Spike Lee's mm. film. Because I, I feel like he does pick beautiful uh performers but it has a very different effect in this one and it is um which i don't know i'm not gonna call it like a cw remake like i'm i'm <laughs> but like the people are hot in such a boring you better stay way. out of brooklyn spike lee's gonna kick your ass <laughs> he's not gonna kick my ass he's not gonna he's, <laughs> he's not gonna kick my ass I, I appreciate you are probably taller than Spike to be fair. I, he, and he's very old. He will not do that. And he's uh, quite old. Yeah, he, he, I will not know. Um, I just mean to say that the that the people are hot in a very uh, boring way. Hmm. Um, but I'm not going to shit on it because it's a it's a for the most part completely like crowdfunded uh, mm-hmm. reinterpretation that drew more attention to the original. So yeah. it, it serves mm-hmm. its purpose. Um, 
and even if it's not a totally successful film, I mean, there is something so thrilling about seeing two great artists in conversation with each other. Yes. Um, and seeing like a great artist try to engage with an artist who came before them. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, I think even if it, if it doesn't totally work, I mean, it is exciting to know that, you know, someone, uh, you know, at the level of like a Spike Lee is engaging with someone at the level of like a Bill Gunn. That's, the, that's the difference. Exciting. This just popped into my brain and it might be a stupid point, but I'm not afraid of making stupid points as we know. Um, <laughs> This the difference between Bill Gunn's Ganja and Hess and Spike Lee's uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus is very similar to the difference between. Uh, well, no, this is this is. I'll tell you why this is a stupid point. Um, you know the song <laughs> "Because the Night." So mm-hmm. there's the there's the Patty Smith "Because the Night," and then there's the Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. uh, "Because the Night," and mm-hmm. the song is very mm-hmm. sexy sung by patty smith who has the right level of restraint yeah. in her like tone versus yeah. a bruce springsteen which is you know <gasps> you know we know bruce springsteen uh, <laughs> yes you know his yeah 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 <laughs> um i think it i think this is a stupid point because i i'm pretty sure bruce springsteen wrote because the night and it was his song first and then patty smith covered it um let me fact check oh this. is that right because i know that he he acknowledges I think when he does it live I think he like acknowledges her and like basically says this is like a Patti Smith song but I don't know if it's because okay he thinks she did the better version or what <laughs> it was written by both of them uh so it was a rock song oh, okay. written by Bruce Springsteen and Patti Smith that was first released as a 1978 out single on the Patti Smith group album hmm. so it it came out first as Patti oh. Smith song and Bruce Springsteen released his version uh probably later Um, and it's you know one of them things Um, but yeah no i think that that's yeah i I think that's an an interesting point of comparison i like that all right um dang it i had one more question for you um before we wrap up and that is what would you pair with this Oh, I should have thought about this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, okay. I didn't think about it, uh, even though we do this every time. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, maybe um, possibly just because it's like top of mind because I just watched it, but maybe Abel Ferrara's The Addiction. Um, because it, I do think that there's some interesting overlap in the films. They they both equate, you know, vampirism and sex, as so many vampire movies do, vampirism and addiction. Um, but yeah, but I think, you know, they're kind of, the the addiction didn't come out until I think like ninety five, but I mean you know Ferrara was making stuff in the seventies, so I mean they are in some ways kind of contemporary filmmakers, but obviously completely different artists. Um, so I think yeah, seeing their sort of approaches to to sort of like modern vampire story, I think is an interesting point of comparison. But mm. what about you? Um, so I did mention uh, three women earlier, which we've spoken about on the podcast before as a potential pairing, but uh, I'm going to go make a left turn and just say the uh, vampire's kiss with okay. uh, Nicolas Cage, yeah. uh, where he's, yes. <laughs> you know, it's similar. There's lots of scenes of, uh, there's lots of solo scenes uh, featuring Nicolas Cage's mm. character just being absolutely demented. Um, <laughs> yes. There is, uh, yeah, I, 
do, a lot of I deranged. Mean, my, yeah. So. Yeah. My favorite thing about that movie is him saying that like he only wanted to do it if he could play the character as like a German expressionist performance from the 1930s. Yep. Which he does. He pulls it off. <laughs> yep. um, and I think also that like they both have an interesting thing of like, is it genuine vampirism or is it madness? I mean, it just, definitely comes down more on the. Yeah. Sorry. Just <laughs> sorry to about... step on your toes. <laughs> no, that's OK. Um, that's what I was going to say, because watching Ganjin Hus today, it's had been a while and I was like. Wait, is he? Are they actually vampires, or do you just think he's a vampire? And uh, that's the same thing with uh, Vampire's Kiss. Only uh, Vampire's Kiss makes it very clear uh, which yes. is the case. Um, yes. <laughs> and yeah, I, I feel like yeah, I need, do love the. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was. If you need something that's a little bit lighter, a little bit uh, sillier, and more linear than Vampire's Kiss, is definitely something I would watch after Ganja and Hess. Um, what were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Oh, just that, like, I, sorry, we've got a bit of a wonky connection. So I, I keep thinking that they're ends of sentences and they're not. Um, but um, <laughs> so I was just going to say that I do love the part in Ganja and Hess when they're in bed together. And he's like, yeah, you, you think I'm psychotic, don't you? And she's yeah. like, yeah, but I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like, that's like one of the things that I just like love about this movie that it's like their like erotic like pull is so strong that she's like, yeah, I think you're a psycho, but like, whatever. Like when I'm tired of it, I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we are completely out of time. We got to wrap it up. But Michael, this was so fun. And we are definitely going to have to revisit this movie. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Um, this is really fun. Um, what do I say next? No, we say where people can follow us and oh, then uh, what they okay. should do. Right. <laughs> uh, so as always, uh, y'all can follow us on social media at everyone is hot pod. That's every number one is hot pod. Uh, wherever you're listening to us, please rate us five stars. Uh, we would appreciate it. That helps with <laughs> algorithms and things. And uh, yes. look, remember to have a nice day and stay horny. Horny. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.